Hello and welcome to this episode of Triggered and True, featuring renowned emotional health consultant, Laura Duncan. Thank you for being here and thank you for investing the time to learn how to take care of your soul. If this podcast sparks any questions, feel free to submit a question by going to triggeredandtrue.com, scrolling to the bottom of the page and clicking ask. If you would like to learn more about Laura Duncan, we encourage you to follow Laura on Instagram and Facebook. Also, a great resource for you to consider is the Compassion Method Master Course. This course is a deep dive into Laura's life work, the Compassion Method. The Compassion Method is a process that empowers you to learn to see and comfort your internal pain and to discover your true self, your true self, that beautiful, wonderful part of you that has been there all along, but has simply been covered up. To obtain the Master Course, go to CompassionMethod.net and as a podcast listener, you qualify for a $50 discount that can be obtained by typing in the coupon code PODCAST50. Again, that's CompassionMethod.net, coupon code PODCAST50. We hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Hello and welcome everybody to this episode of Triggered and True. We're going to be continuing our conversation about true self. After we finished off our last podcast, we recognized that there was a little bit of unfinished business. So Laura, we're going to have you start off by just giving us a little recap of what we talked about last time. What we talked about last time, like you just said, is not quite like the fullest picture of true self. And especially if true self is our main goal and the whole compassion method process, we want to put some emphasis on it, especially because we put so much emphasis on our triggered self. It's a scary thing to be triggered and not understand it. And so people really want a lot of information. They want to be able to understand what's going on. Um, they want the trigger to stop because it's affecting their lives in a negative way. So we put a lot of emphasis on triggered self. So we want to put as much emphasis on true self as we do triggered self. So that's why we're going to kind of go into it a little bit more as well. But last time we were talking about just how when we are in a triggered state, our true self is covered up and it's covered up by pain. And we have to walk through our pain in order to be able to be connected to our true self. And then just what We've talked about what that process looks like in other um, podcasts, but in this true self one, we talked about what it looks like to be in your true self. What are the characteristics? What are some of the indicators? What are some of the triggers that you know you're in your true self? Yeah, and I think that's a that's a good point. We a lot of times when we come into this process, we're so focused on the pain that we forget that there's more than just the pain that we're we're here for. And I think that. When our pain and unmet need has been so front and center that a lot of times we get, I think we get confused as to what exactly that we're trying to do. And the wonderful thing is that the pain isn't what this is all about. The pain is just in the way. And we want to get the pain comforted so that we can see who we really are. And uh, a quote I want to kind of hit on that you, t- you, you mention a lot, you say, what you do matters, but who you are matters more. So just kind of explain that the context of that quote does come back to shame that most of us are living in shame where we believe what we do is who we are. So if that is true, then what we do matters the most because that's going to be a reflection of who we are. So we're going to be sometimes frantically, obsessively trying to be able to be good so that we can feel good in in who we are. If what we do matters more than who we are. We're going to always stay stuck in this hamster wheel of trying to be better and then failing and then trying to be better and then failing, but never really connecting to who we are outside of what we do. 
And that's why that one quote can really show you if that's how you're seeing yourself. Because some of us do care about ourselves, but we're saying you matter, but what you do matters more. And then the same is true if you're approaching how you see other people as well. Because if I'm looking at another person and I'm seeing that what they do matters more than them, then I know I'm looking at them through a shame lens, just like I'd be looking at myself through a shame lens. I've noticed that that quote has, and and maybe just explaining this to some people at different times, has been kind of triggering for the people. Yeah, and I, definitely. And I've, and I've noticed that probably some of my Christian friends are the most easily triggered in that arena. So can you just speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So religion's whole basis is good and evil. That's what religion is all about. And so sometimes we mix Christianity with religion, which it was never meant to be religion. It was supposed to be a relationship. And if you even look at the gospel, it says that Jesus died for us when we were still doing the wrong things. So just by that act of him dying for us, um, when we were still sinners, when we were still making mistakes, that he would want to die for us means that he saw who we were separate from what we did. And so that is actually the way that we're supposed to be looking at ourselves and others. But instead, we have this thing that once we do certain things, then we matter. And we get our value and we get our worth in religion from being good because the whole entire system is based on being good or bad. And then one thing that really irritates people, if that is really your primary you know, goal in life is to be good. And then I say being good doesn't matter. It's very offensive. And I actually personally was really offended when I, when I was first learning this because I tried to be really good, do all the right things. And in fact, I actually was like, why did I do the right things if it doesn't even matter? I actually felt almost like I was being like, you know, like lied to that, you know, cause it felt like religion said, if you do all the right things, God loves you. If you do all the right things, others are going to love you. And then you do all the right things. And it, it doesn't always mean that people are going to love and accept you. And so it always felt very offensive to me to meet this bar and then realize the bar wasn't what it was really about. So I think a lot of times we're offended because we've been trying so hard to be good. And then someone says, it doesn't matter. And so being able to recognize that That's why the phrase says, what you do does matter for good or for bad does matter, but you matter more. Yeah. And I think I've always, and I think working through this compassion method process has really helped me see that it is indeed the overwhelming message of the cross that quote, what you do matters, but who you are matters more. And it's exactly like you just said, if it was all about what we did, Jesus would have waited to die for us once we Mm -hmm. got our once we got our crap together, then he would yeah. have, then he would have came on the scene and, you know, ushered us in. Um, so you're not excusing sin, correct? Correct. We're definitely not excusing sin, but it's almost like you have to overemphasize it a little bit because we're so, we want to do, you know, whenever you say something and then you say, but you're disqualifying what you just said before. So a lot of times religion will say like, of course, God died for you before, but he died for your sins. And that's the most important thing, you know? So like, there's like these, like, like we want to have like both happening at the same time. And so I overemphasize it on purpose to be able to have that love relationship be the first connecting point and then have what we do be a secondary. And we're so prone to make what we do matter the most that we have to almost be extreme in it at first, especially because that's just going to be where we're going to go. If that's been our main objective, our whole lives is to be good. Yeah. You have to overemphasize it just to highlight. Yes. But a hundred percent 
what we do matters. That's why I include it. Otherwise it would just say, don't worry about what you do. You matter more, but it's right. saying what we do does matter. Before the compassion method, my, my approach to anything, any behavioral thing I was struggling with, whether it be impatience or irritability, I would just simply try harder. And that, and I'm guessing I'm probably not alone. Can you comment on that? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Somehow we believed from a very young age that if we were, could just be a little bit better, we would be okay. And so we're perpetually trying to ultimately gain connection through being good. And so it's very common for people to want to try harder, but ultimately, if you still are following the same, you know, thought process in Christianity, being self-controlled is a fruit. And so it's a fruit of you being connected to who you are and being connected to God and as a byproduct, you're going to be self-controlled, but here we are white knuckling it, trying to do better and be more self-controlled. And it's not a fruit. It's a forced, um, control which really ultimately comes from being out of control. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when you start to learn this process, you start to see that many of the ways that people try to help other people is more related to behavior management than it is to actually uncovering the root behind the behavior. The reason why we like behavior management so much is because it, keep, it allows us to semi-deal with our issues without being vulnerable. So if I can just manage my behavior, then I don't have to take care of the pain that's causing the behavior. So that's why we usually go gravitate more towards behavior management than actually dealing with the pain. That's the root of it. Yeah. And the managing behavior becomes even a form of a protector. And we're mm -hmm. going to talk about protectors in the next podcast, but protectors in a grand, grand sense is just those little things we do to take care of ourselves, to prevent yeah. us from actually confronting the thing that's bothering us, which mm -hmm. is the pain, the pain that's there. Yeah. And, and we're then, all adverse to pain. So we've all got some pretty creative protectors. Yeah. And managing behavior and a self-help book or, yeah, or, or, you know, a self-help, whatever you're doing would definitely be a great, a great form of a protector. When I say great, it's not that protectors are good or bad. It's just that they are. And we don't mm -hmm. want to, and in many ways, those protectors serve a purpose. It's just that we eventually want to go around the protector to actually get to what it's trying to protect. <laughs> exactly. I yeah. Hope, but I hope yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> we'll elaborate more on that in the next episode. Next episode <laughs> There's a little yeah. teaser there for protectors. Teaser. Yeah. Um, I, I have an example that happened to me this past week that I think is a good, a good example of walking through triggered self, true self. And, you know, starting off in the trigger and, and working my way towards, you know, who I really am. And it also is a great contrast of how I used to handle a situation like that and how I handle it today. I had a service person come out to our home and I was, I was excessively overcharged. And if I went through all of the details, I'm sure everybody on this podcast would agree that I was excessively <laughs> overcharged, but that would really be missing the point. So, but it would feel good, wouldn't it? It would feel good. It would feel good. So as I was able to, as I was able to work through that trigger, you know, walking through the remote control exercise and, and kind of working through, I recognized that inside of that, I was, I was told one thing and then build for another. And then, then there was a, he said, she said thing, um, in the process. And I was, uh, definitely feeling not valued. 
like what I, you know, it was really hitting on the value button. And when I spoke to the representative on the phone, I was not kind. And I can definitely be as anybody that would know me, if I'm in that triggered place, I can be a little irritable. And I would hate to listen to that phone recording again, because I'd probably be a little bit embarrassed by that. But I worked through it and I was able to work through the injustice of it because there was no, there was no getting it done. I was, I was, I was on the hook for the payment and I worked through the injustice of it. And when I was done, I recognized, you know, um, I, I really want to apologize. And in the past I would have apologized because I would have been ashamed of what I did. So in many ways I would have been ashamed of, I was basically like saying, I'm ashamed of who I am. So there'd have been a, there would have been an insecurity in me, uh, something inside of me that would have felt very strongly that I needed to apologize for, for who I am as a person. And I was able to separate because of this process, I was able to separate what I did from who I was, what I did, what I did, I needed to apologize for, but I did not need to apologize for who I am because I was not acting like myself my true self in that moment. And that was able to set me free from shame, you know? So I called in to, to apologize and the lady I needed to talk to kept not being there. So like her, her coworker was like, I think I called two or three times looking for her. And, and finally the coworkers like, Hey, what is it that you need? And I said, Hey, you know, I called in and I, I was not kind and I wanted to apologize. And, and, um, and she said, well, you know what happens? And I said, well, yeah, it does happen, but it's not right because what we do matters. And that wasn't right. It's just a difference of where that apology is coming. Exactly. From. It's in a huge difference though. Cause if you're apologizing for yourself, that means that you are inherently evil or wrong or bad. And that you're always trying to apologize to ultimately medicate that horrible feeling that there's something wrong inside of me. But when I know that I'm okay within myself because I'm connected to my true self and I know that who I am is matters more. And I also just know who I really am. Like you said, that you weren't acting like your true self. And when I apologize, I believe that apology has a lot more weight to it because we're not, we're not using the other person saying sorry to the other person, using that person to make ourselves feel better about who we, who we perceive ourselves to be. A lot of apologies are just us feeling shame because we believe it's who we are. And if this person forgives us, then I can be okay with myself again. But you were, you were, once you work through the trigger, you were always okay with yourself. So you could actually take true ownership of your behavior because it wasn't connected to your shame that you were trying to get rid of by saying, sorry. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was disappointed in myself, but it's hard to explain, but I felt in the past, I would have felt just a great failure. Like I'm a, mm-hmm. like I'm a failure. Yes, exactly. Not that what I did was wrong. You know, I would have felt like I was the failure. And in this time I was able to see that um, that's not who I am because in doing this true self exercise, I remember, I just recalled this actually. Now I remembered when we sent out the, how am I seen exercise? We talked about that in a podcast somewhere along the way, but the, how am I seen one of the, one of my uh, former employees that uh, went on to bigger and better things, but he, um, I had him fill it out and he, he came back with kindness, a kind. And I know my true self, like if I can look back to my child self, I was kind. I, it's not, I was actually it's, I am. 
I am kind. And I know that kindness is part of my true self. You know, it's, it's a very, very, very major part of my true self. So when I recognized that I wasn't being that, you know, I recognized that I'm not going to swallow the lie that I'm not kind. I know that my true self is kind. And that's why the specific word that I used when I apologized was I was not kind. Mm-hmm. The reality is I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Throw that in that apology. The reality I was right. No, that did not go in the apology. That's good. Cause they were that back to apology. who's right. Who's wrong. <laughs> nope. Because I know that's just blame. And all that blame does is take, take away from the central focus. So So even though I was right, I kept that to myself and basically just said, you know, um, probably won't be using that company anymore. But anyway, that's that's another thing. So one of the things as Christians we're called to do is we're called to repent. And I think that in a way that that is what I did is I I repented in, in that process. But I think that it's impossible for true repentance to have to actually happen if we're doing it from our triggered self and not from our true self. So can you agree, disagree, and share any of your thoughts on that? I look at repentance really similar as I do like unforgiveness. Cause I think really unforgiveness, not being able to forgive keeps us from being able to truly repent. And they kind of go hand in hand. And one of the things that I talk about when I meet with people and um, some people will say, well, I think I just need to forgive them. And then I can move on from the pain. And I'm like, well, you're not going to be able to forgive them until you take care of the pain, because what unforgiveness is, is holding on to pain that hasn't been taken care of. We hold on to it so it can be taken care of. So if we take care of the pain, then we can let go and we can forget. And so that directly connects to repentance, because like I was saying just a little while before, we can't really be truly repentive, sorry for our actions until you take care of the pain that caused the actions in the first place. Because then what will happen is we'll just keep, just like with forgiveness, a lot of times people will forgive someone like 20 times. They'll forgive them. And then like, you know, two weeks later, something will come up and they'll have to re-forgive them and re-forgive them and re-forgive them because they may sincerely want to forgive. But if that pain hasn't been taken care of, it's going to pop back up again. And then they're going to have to forgive again until they take care of the pain. And that's really similar to repentance. You're going to keep saying sorry and repeating the same behavior over and over again because you haven't taken care of the pain that's causing the behavior in the first place. So back to my example, essentially my, my working through the process of not feeling valued and bringing mm-hmm. comfort to that yep. allowed me to actually repent from the heart. Cause yep, otherwise exactly. I think I, I just would have repented because hey, I'm a Christian and that's what Christians are supposed mm-hmm. to do. Christians yep. aren't supposed to act like that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And you might feel bad because you did it, but that's still not a true repentance. You know, just people think feeling bad, being convicted about something is going to cause true repentance, but true repentance is changing the way that you do something. So just because I'm convicted and feel bad does not mean that I'm going to change my behavior. When I'm full of love, when I've taken care of my heart, when I recognize in your, in your example, that I'm valuable out of the abundance of knowing how valuable I am, I can now act accordingly to my value, accordingly to my true self. Yep. And that, yeah. And that is from your, yeah. Coming from your, kind of the same, same thing I said earlier. It's just a matter of, it's a matter of comforting the pain to allow us to land and, and be mm-hmm. from our true self 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's super important because as Christians, repentance is important and forgiveness as well, but just universally as humans, if we hold on to unforgiveness and um, there's so many studies of that when people can't repent or they can't forgive, that they end up becoming bitter, that they end up, it affects your body, it affects your brain, it affects your heart, it affects every area of you when you're, when you hold um, unforgiveness and repentance inside of you, um, it really uh, festers and creates an infection inside of us. And so taking care of that is important for all of us. That's one of the ways where I look at the compassion method as being profoundly spiritual, because when our pain or our weakness or, or our insecurities are running the show, we are very, very subject to, you know, the enemy's schemes and just being easily manipulated and easily coerced into, yeah, like you said, the bitterness and the anger. And you just see that playing out kind of in society all of the time. Yeah. You know, people and just it's really look- a lack of love, you know, so yeah. that's why the compassion method is so powerful because it's really centering in on that love, which is compassion. And I think that's one of the prof- other profound things with the compassion method is not only has it helped me see my own heart and my own true self. And we talked about this in the last podcast. It helps me see beyond other people's behaviors. Yeah, it's really so helpful. A lot of the stuff that you see on social media or whatever, it's really repulsive, mm-hmm. especially if it disagrees with your worldview <laughs> or especially in those, especially, <laughs> especially if you're right and they're wrong. Right. Yeah. Which is just really, I mean, all the thing, the fights that are going on on social media and in some of them are in person as well. It's just a lot of hurting people that don't know that they're being triggered by the events that are happening in the world. If we knew what our personal trigger was and we took care of it through this process, we wouldn't be as offended. We wouldn't feel, we wouldn't be so reactionary. We'd be able to be wise in our responses and be able to be calm and clear and do it for a greater good than just trying to protect ourselves from our triggers and what's happening in the world. So, yeah, again, I, I just see this process as as profoundly spiritual on, on so many levels, and that's a big one. Um, when I was reviewing uh, one of the sessions in the master course that that is out, I think it was module number four from the master course, the Compassion Method Master Course. You were talking about soapboxes and how when we judge others, it's kind of a reflection of what's really going on inside of us. I think that kind of ties into our conversation we're having right now. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just smiling on that. Yeah. (laughs) Those that are just listening, not watching, I'm smiling as Brian's saying that just because I just had some memories of when I was younger, I was like a soapbox person, like whatever. Because you never do it anymore, right? Never do (laughs) this anymore. Never. Never. (laughs) The, The beautiful thing about it now is I still do it sometimes, but I catch myself and I'm like, oh, and it's so funny. It's almost like subconscious. So like, you don't even realize you're on the soapbox until you look down and you're like, Oh, I'm on a soapbox because we, we mistake it for just being passionate about something, just believing in something, just saying like this, this thing is the thing that I want to fight for. And I want to get on this soapbox and I want to, you know, show everyone that this is the problem or they're the problem or whatever it is. And so I'm just laughing though, because I was like the queen of soapboxes. Like I felt like anything I truly believed in became a soapbox and, and it was very um, kind of like how blame gives you that feeling of like, if I blame something else for my pain, it relieves me of my pain temporarily because blame is kind of almost like a, uh, not a medication, but like, it just gives you that good feeling of it's not my problem. So I can displace my pain on someone else. Well, it's really similar with soapboxes. Like when we get on a soapbox, it feels very like empowering because we feel right we feel like we have like the solution, like this is the way you're supposed to do it. 
But the problem about soapboxes is it's all about what we do or what's, you know, whatever the subject is, it's not about who I am and it's not about who the other person is. And so we make, so we're ultimately saying whatever that thing that we, becomes a soapbox, that it matters more than other people or ourselves. Yeah. And can you give an example from your past? Yeah, definitely. Actually, I have a really funny one. Um, so um, when I was in my very religious uh, stage of life, because everything was very like um, high stakes and everything. So it's coming out of, you know, living a life that just doing whatever I want to do. And then I came into recognizing God's place in my life and surrendering to that. I became unintentionally very religious. And one of my soapboxes was coffee. And I was like, coffee is like a Christian drug. <laughs> I know it's embarrassing now. Well, you're 20, probably, you're probably, actually, you're probably, ago. you're probably actually right. But you know, but th- again, this totally. isn't about right and wrong. Exactly. And exactly. Yeah. I was probably right. I just, <laughs> um, anyways, it was really funny though, because I was like, it's a Christian drug. If, you know, people are just doing it to cover up just as much. You might as well just do drugs. You might as well just drink. You might as well just do whatever. Cause it's exactly the same thing. And then when people would be like, well, you know, I like coffee or I don't think coffee is so bad. Then it would be this, I, sadly, then I would be shaming them being like, well, of course you don't think that because you drink coffee. And so you're just as disillusioned as, you know, drug addicts don't say that it's bad either, you know? And so I would just, it would actually turn on people because it was so important for me to be right. And so important for me to have something to distract or displace my pain, but I didn't know it. I didn't know that I was covering up pain. I just thought it was, I thought it was logical. I thought it was just my belief system that I was fighting for. What do you think the pain was that you were covering up? I think it was coming out of such an extreme lifestyle before where I felt so much shame. I remember I just really wanted to erase like from like 15 to 18, I just wanted to erase that time because before 15, I made good choices. And after 18, I made good choices, but there was this kind of like, you know, staying on my record, you know, of like, if I could just get rid of those three years, then I, then I'll be okay. So part of it was just this extremeness of doing everything perfect and right and religious in order to compensate for the shame I felt for those years where I made bad choices. Mm-hmm. You know, Sometimes I think when we're going through a process like the compassion method, we, and I think it's just the way our human mind is, we always want to like have a finish line. Like, okay, we, we've, yep, we, we, or like, let's say we buy it, someone, someone buys the compassion method master course, they go through all six modules and be like, oh, yep, now I'm a, I'm a ninja warrior at X, you know, I've earned my black belt. And the beautiful thing is, and I think it's a beautiful thing in this process is you never really arrive. It's ongoing discovery forever because our true self, there's just so much there. And we live in a world with so much pain that there's, there's so many more layers to uncover, but it does, it does change a little bit. So you talked about back when you had this coffee thing going on. <laughs> yeah. My coffee soapbox. Obviously you've come, you've come a ways on this yeah, journey to be coffee. where you are today. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. Christian drug. De- I'm sure decaffeinated <laughs> coffee, but anyway. Oh no. <laughs> oh, no. But anyway. Um, so you've come a long way on that journey, but you still obviously wouldn't feel as though you've arrived. So talk about the transformation that's t- taken place from then to now, what people can expect going through this process and how, 
Cause we don't want it to sound like you're never going to get there. You're never going to arrive. Yeah. This is like, you're just going to be spinning forever. There's, there's levels. So just kind of explain. You know what the interesting thing is? Cause I mean, I was definitely almost fanatical of trying to be so good that I wanted to, I mean, I had the clock on my process all the time. You know, I, I had to go through for about two weeks um, with a script that says, take all the time you need, because I was like, hurry up and get it, hurry up and get it. If you don't get it, it's going to be bad. You're going to be bad. And so it was constantly trying to be, do have good behavior to feel like I was okay. And I'd say um, one of the biggest things that's changed now is I don't need to be good, to be okay. I'm no longer codependent with it. Where before one of my definition of codependency is I'm not okay. If blank fill in the blank, I need blank to be okay for me to be okay. And so for my codependencies was being good was I need to be good to be okay. And if I'm not good, I'm not okay. And now I can be okay in my process. I can be okay in my mistakes. That just like we said in the beginning, what I did do still matters. So it's not just saying like, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm just okay with myself. It's more of, I'm okay to take the time to maybe be wrong or to maybe not be, be perfect and right to actually figure out what the pain is behind. Cause sometimes you have to be able to sit in it and not just hurry through. Even right now, when you asked me, you know, what do you think the pain was? I was, I mean, part of the, it's the context of talking on this podcast, but I was hurrying through it. If I actually paused and sat with it, cause I've never sat with my, my coffee soapbox and find the pain behind it. And so if I actually sat with it, it would be this process of being, it's okay that you're on that soapbox. See, I sensed there was more. <laughs> you're, you're like, I knew there was something more behind it. And I there is. It. Yeah, I sensed exactly. I'm like, like ah, Laura's wait a second. <laughs> hold, she's holding back a little bit. She's holding yeah. back. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Just covering it with logic and, and the reasons why, but not the heart behind it. But if I actually stopped and sat with it, I'd have to not have to, but I would want to, this is the difference between now and then I can give myself time. Maybe I won't figure it out right now. Maybe I will, but it's okay for me to sit with it and say, oh, she must be really scared because to be that passionate and that frantic about people not drinking coffee means that there's more to that story. So being able to go back and, and kind of sit with my 18 year old self, my 19 year old self, I can feel her even right at this moment. 25 years later, right at this moment, I can feel how scared she is that if you start down that slippery slope and you start doing the wrong thing or having things that could be an addiction, you could go back to being in the darkness that I was in before. And so I want to frantically keep everyone doing the right thing and being good. So we don't end up in that place again. And so I can feel like right now I can feel as I access that memory, I can feel the scaredness and I can feel the feeling of her trying to protect herself by creating a lot of boundaries and a lot of rules to keep herself safe. You know, what's really powerful. I thought I was going to have to give you homework to go like spend some time with that, (laughs) but you, you are so that, that is, that is, I mean, basically you were able to work through what probably I would have had to go take a couple hours spend with, and you were able yeah. to do that, um, kind of on the fly in a, in a, and I don't have to give you homework now. So, yeah. 
So but that is really actually, cool. cause you asked, you know, what is some of the, that is actually the fruit. I didn't even mean for that to happen, but that really is the fruit of the process that do I still get triggered by things? Sure. Even kind of in that moment when I was reliving the, like the coffee soapbox, I could feel similar feelings coming up. So I was almost in a way being re-triggered, but what a beautiful opportunity to be re-triggered because I've never been able to explore the scared and the pain that was connected to that. And now that's just creating an opportunity for me to connect with that part of my memory, that part of my brain that never got taken care of. So I will actually do homework to go back and be with myself in a more concentrated way. But that's the beauty that now I know you're just scared. So now I'm not saying I'm wrong because I have a soapbox or people are wrong because they drink coffee. Now I'm able to get to the root of it. It was nothing to do with the soapbox at all. Yeah. And I, and I recognize with myself, I'm not where you are to be able to do it kind of almost that quickly. And especially under the gun like that, not that you're really under the gun. I'm not that, (laughs) but, um, but one thing I do recognize is I recognize when I'm triggered so much quicker. Yeah. You know, every now and then it, I actually, usually I'm catching myself in the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas, whereas at first it was days afterwards. Mm Mm-hmm. And now I can catch myself in the moment and actually just take a breath and be quiet. Mm -hmm. And maybe if I can't, maybe if I don't have time to do what you just did, I can just tell myself, I know you're triggered. I'll come back. Yeah. You know, I can't do it in this scene right now, or maybe I'm in a client meeting or I've got Mm -hmm. the kids, you know, trying to get them to or to and fro somewhere, but I know that I can come back. Yeah, which is such a beautiful thing that before it would just blindsight you and you or my, myself as well, all of us. And then we would just be caught up in the current of the trigger, which, like you said, can last for days or weeks or months. And now, even if we still get triggered, and like I've said before, we're going to get triggered our whole lives because we're going to experience on this earth, we're going to experience pain our whole lives. But that trigger is the opportunity to care for our pain. So I always tell people, I'm still glad that I get triggered. The two things it does is it helps me take care of pain that I didn't recognize was still there. Even, even in the example we were talking about today, I'm right now, I'm recognizing, oh, that's a tender spot that didn't get proper attention that I get to go back and take care of. And I'm so glad that I got triggered, that we brought this up because now this is an opportunity. And then the second reason that I really like to, to, to keep being triggered is empathy. Because there's something about the humility and vulnerability of being triggered that creates empathy and compassion for others when they're triggered. And not just in the intellect, but me actually feeling it. Because even right now, as I'm feeling my own scared, I'm going to be so much more aware if I see somebody else on their soapbox, because I know they're scared too. Well, so much of this is about learning to enjoy the journey. Yeah and enjoy this opportunity that we have to be human beings and work this all out in this messy, what feels oftentimes very, very messy. Yeah. It's, it's not clean. It does cut, feel man. messy. Exactly. Even when you know everything, it's still messy because our heart has places of pain that are messy. Yeah. And, but just what a wonderful privilege it is to be able to walk this out as human beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. I, um, just the other day I was talking like, you know, like when we go to heaven, you know, it says in the Bible that there'll be no pain or suffering. And I've always like kind of wanted that as like an out of all the pain because I've experienced a lot of personal pain in my life. But the funny thing was, is as we were talking about it, I actually had this like sadness of like, 
oh, like, it's not that I want to experience pain because that sounds terrible. Um, but almost this, like it's, I've had such intimacy with myself and with others by going to the places of pain and sadness and scared and lonely and going in and being with myself in it or being with others in it, that it's this precious intimate place that I actually got like a little sad that if we go to heaven and there's no pain, then we're not going to have that intimacy of being with ourselves or others and their sadness and their pain. Cause it really is a precious place to be. Well, and not to get too deep here, but that is definitely the part of the human experience. That is a huge privilege. There, there's the um, Philippians three ten talks about the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. So that's something that when we see him eyeball to eyeball, we're going to be able to have a, we're going to be able to relate to each other. You know, we've both experienced pain. And I think that's part of what angels long to look into. Mm-hmm. I think it really is a privilege. And I think it, because we're all so adverse to pain, we're running from it. But if we could just stop for a moment and sit in that pain and recognize it's just sad, it's just scared, it's just lonely. And just sit for a moment there with ourselves or with others and just recognize the intimacy and the connection and the, just the ability to be with ourselves and others in such a deeper way than we've, than we usually experience when we're running from our pain. And we don't even just run from our pain. We run from other people's pain too. Yeah. Their pain, their pain scares us because it, it basically brings our pain to the forefront. Exactly. Talking with a friend of mine who recently lost his spouse and he was talking about, you know, the different reactions people have. And I just said, you know, it's not that they're good or bad at consoling someone going through that. It's that what you're going through is forcing them to confront things in their own heart that they're scared. They're just scared. Yeah. That's why yeah. I remember when my husband passed away that, um, people would kind of act like they'd catch it, <laughs> like they'd catch the pain, mm. you know, like a sickness or something. And so they would want to stay away from it, but that's exactly what it is. It wasn't that they were afraid of catching it. They were actually afraid of facing their own pain because my pain reminded them of their pain. Otherwise they wouldn't be triggered and be in flight trying to get away from my pain. Well, and, and as you brought up, Jeff, your, your uh, husband who passed away, I actually wanted to close today by reading a quote that he wrote in his book. And uh, he wrote a book called The Pursuit of the Promises. And he started writing it before he was diagnosed with his illness and then continued on and finished it. You said, I think you've mentioned right up until a few days before he passed. So here's the quote. He says, uh, this is from Jeff Duncan, though a deluded minority will scorn and mock it, a pitiful plurality might trash it, and a greater majority mostly let it pass them by, time on earth, and the opportunity to experience it to the fullest is our most significant, readily available gift. Yeah, it really is a privilege to be on this earth. And if we're no longer afraid of pain and suffering, and we are able to embrace it and be with ourselves and others in it, we'll stop trying to avoid our time on this earth so much. Yeah. And be able to enjoy it and be our true selves on this earth. And part of experience it to the fullest is pain. Mm -hmm. It really is because it Mm -hmm. makes us alive. And then to the degree that we experience pain is also the degree we're going to experience joy. They're on the same circuit in our brain. So if we shut pain down, we shut joy down. But if we take care of our pain, that means that we're going to actually going to experience so much more joy. And that joy is directly connected to our true self. 
And when we are in our true self and we're connected to our true self, we have, I believe, unlimited joy because we're no longer being, being suppressed or distracted by pain. We're able to be completely who we are. And there's so much joy and peace in that place. In one sense, we're able to ride that joy circuit to its utmost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even in the midst of hard things happening, we haven't know, shut a, it off. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite things about the compassion method is we can actually be connected to our true self and have joy in the midst of really difficult situations. Absolutely. Well, we covered a lot of ground today, Laura. Yeah. I'm glad we did a part two though. I really love the true self and I think it's good to explore it some more and also the different um, characteristics that we were exploring it within it. Those are great. So I didn't have to give yourself, give you homework, but it sounds like you gave yourself a little homework. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> and um, look forward to talking more about that. And please join us uh, next time. We're going to talk about protectors. We gave a nice little intro to those today, but we're going to go a little deeper with that next time. So until we talk again, thank you for joining us on Triggered and True. Goodbye. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of Triggered and True. We hope that you enjoyed it. As a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, go to triggeredandtrue.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click ask. And if you would like to learn more about the Compassion Method, be sure to check out the Compassion Method Master Course, which can be purchased at compassionmethod.net. And as a podcast listener, you qualify for a $50 discount, which can be obtained by typing in the coupon code podcast50. Again, that's compassionmethod.net, coupon code podcast50. Thank you again. Goodbye.